Welcome to a special episode of 30 Minutes in the New Testament, 40 Minutes in the Old Testament, and Theocast. We did this last year where the the three podcasts come together to to do a Christmas special. I don't think we talked about this. We didn't advertise it. It's just a surprise in your feed, in whichever Mm -hmm. feed that you happen to be listening to. So I'm Daniel Emery Price. I'm joined by Chad Bird, Eric Sorensen, Justin Perdue, and John... Moffitt. Now that last year they would have been like, wait a minute, isn't this like a six guy thing? I mean, mm-hmm. isn't isn't this like a three and three? But uh, no, Jimmy. Uh, Jimmy is uh, working. We, we miss him. We, we love him. We do. We do. So Jimmy here in spirit. Uh, he'll probably maybe he'll listen to it. You know. Yeah, Jimmy's got the jokes, man. He brings in the comic relief. So <laughs> we'll we'll try and fill in where we can. That's right. But yeah, Jimmy brings in the jokes. That's, That's right. right. Yeah, so uh, we didn't we didn't do a ton of uh, of prep. We didn't we didn't have like a text that we were going to go over or anything because uh, we decided we just wanted to talk about Christmas and mm. why Christmas is sort of uh, maybe the beginning of this sort of promised scandal uh, coming to fruition, right? Like the, the incarnation. I think I think when we mm-hmm. th- I think last time we talked about the implications of the of the incarnation and all all that mm-hmm. that implies, but. Really, when you when you get down to the nitty gritty of it, you're talking about the fulfillment of a promise from God by His own divine collusion uh, within His trinitarian self to get a world full of sinners off free. That's what Christmas is about. Christmas is about like the the plan is now uh, in full in full effect, and God plans on giving good news to a bad world. Right, that I um, in myself am going to forgive all kinds of people that don't deserve forgiveness. I'm going to pronounce all kinds of guilty people not guilty, and I'm going to gather them up and bring them into my family, declare them righteous, and instead I'm just going to have one guy go and pay the penalty for all of them. Which, if this was something that was proposed in a you know the way that we think about justice, we're like, how about this, guys? We think about all the bad people, and then we just take one good person and we kill him instead. How about that? Like, like is that does that work for everyone? People would be like, "This sounds like a gross miscarriage of justice." That is not how any of this can work. And this is why I think that the offense of the gospel starts with the very idea of what God is going to accomplish. That's right. Yeah. Well, just going back to Genesis three fifteen, the first mention of the seed, right? The seed of Eve which is always mentioned as the seed of man, but it's just the seed of Eve or we're, we're looking forward to this. But what I love about when I teach people the gospel from Genesis is that when you look at God and he gets the story straight so we can hear it, yes, you completely failed. Listen to the requirement that God gives Adam and Eve. This is, I'm going to quote this from scripture. <clears throat> it doesn't exist. There are no requirements from Adam and Eve other than anticipate my mercy and anticipate my grace that's coming your way. 
And that it is just, as you were just saying, Daniel, it's so scandalous because typically when my children, if they were to come in and absolutely destroy my home and I walk in, I'm thinking like, all right, what, what's the appropriate response here? Like what's your punishment going to be? And God covers their shame and then gives them a promise. And that says, I will take on your shame and I will take on the pain to restore all things. And that, that is not how humanity responds to injustice, to purity and to holiness. Yeah. When you think about the scandal, you know, there's so many scandalous parts to just the very event of Christmas, all the things surrounding it. And hopefully we'll get into many of those different uh, elements, but just even the idea of incarnation itself in that world, in the Greco-Roman world, in the Jewish world, there's really no allowance for it. There's no, so in the Jewish world, it's offensive. The idea that the divine majesty would come down and dwell with us is offensive. And of course, the idea in the Greco-Roman world that the divine majesty or whatever divinity would actually be incarnated in flesh, which is what incarnation means, that he would take on flesh is offensive. And so, you know, N.T. Wright and, and of course, many others have pointed out that even in the worldview of the time, the very idea of the Christian claim that God actually takes on flesh is offensive in itself. It's a scandal in itself, and it's something that the early Christians have to constantly defend, even as they're getting opponents from all sides saying, no, 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 that's insane. So right from the beginning, the very idea, set aside the crazy seeming injustice of God reconciling a bunch of unclean people to his very clean self, just the idea that he would take on flesh was already a non-starter for so many that the early Christians are going to engage with. You know, if you were to investigate the, the Jewish world of Jesus' time, there was there were plenty of mediators that were set up between God and humanity. You had kind of all the angels and, and, and spiritual beings. So the idea was there's a great divide between God and man. And so you have to have these go-betweens. Uh, but the idea that God himself would be the one coming down and not appearing as flesh or not temporarily appearing as a human being, but actually becoming fully flesh mm -hmm. and blood, a, a complete human being just like everybody else. Yeah, that was, that was scandalous. Uh, and that's, mm -hmm. that's, that's part of the reason that there were so many... Uh, controversies in the early church where the church had to battle in one way or another all those who tried to downplay the incarnation you know whether yeah. it was those that's who always said he appeared to be human or those who yes. said it was yeah. yeah he sort of adopted a human body but then he he you know got rid of it on its ascension <laughs> so the, it it remained it wasn't just like at the time of jesus but it remained it still remains today scandalous the idea that yes you could actually touch god flesh and blood mm -hmm. it was that's it was always been sort of contrary, I think, to our modern intuition. We would think that the scandalous part would be that this human is claiming to be God. But when you look at, at sort of the reason for the formulation of the early creeds that uh, that are established, the Apostles, the Nicene, the Athanasian Creed, so much of it is, de is about defending his real humanity, because there's so much debate and question about that in the Greco-Roman world. Like, that just can't be. That doesn't work. And yet, you know, in our modern time, I would assume that the problem is the opposite, that like, well, yeah. who is this human being claiming to be God? But back then it was like, no, OK, we're fine with Jesus being divine. It's the human part we can't get behind. Yeah, it's true. The scandal, it seemed in the early church, was actually the humanity of Jesus, not his deity. Yeah, I preached through Genesis this year. And, 
Genesis 32 is like kind of popcorn in my brain in terms of thinking about scandal related to the incarnation, related to Christmas. You know, Genesis 32, Jacob wrestles with God is not, contrary to popular opinion, is not about wrestling with God in prayer so that it will bless you. But it's this is the God who humbled himself, willingly came down, took on flesh, and then willingly loses to save his people. You know, so talk about scandal and talk about what does this say about God, the insanity of that. You're going to tell me that this is how God is going to save us. Like, that just sounds dumb to me. Why would he do that? Why would he limit himself like this? Why would he willingly come and lose? Why would he come and bleed for the people, you know, who are his enemies? But, and so, yeah, yeah man. Boys, well, I've got such a great illustration from Spider-Man No Way Home, which I saw I mean, last night. That I can't oh, he's going to ruin it. giving away spoilers. Yeah, don't do that. <laughs> I'm just saying there's some good illustrative material there. I'll, you know, you bring your Genesis 32. I bring Spider-Man. Okay, I'm just. Thank, Thank you for not spoiling. That. That's that's good. That is that is good. Every, we don't want to lose listeners right then. Uh, half the half the listeners immediately tune out as you about to spoil much spoil anticipated movie. I spoil no things. I spoil no things. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, Chad, speaking about the Old Testament, it does seem that there's an understanding, and you see this from the even in the Jewish mind and in the, in the in the scribes and Pharisees. Herod even asks people like, "Hey, where is the Messiah to be born?" This kind of so the idea that a Messiah is somebody is, that is going to be born is not so much this big controversy or scandalous thing. I think they, the the understanding was that the Messiah is someone who is born, but the way in which he is born is seems absurd, and certainly the idea that this Messiah is born but then dies is definitely scandalous like like the life that he lives the things that he says and what he comes to do right so initially being born while while the incarnation is scandalous because of it's god becoming flesh and it's scandalous because of the re- the way that it's done a manger bethlehem all of this kind of stuff the the scandal really kicks up when this person keeps saying that the reason that he was born was to die like, this is the reason I came into the world. Mm-hmm. This is the part that that people are like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait. that's not the that's not the sort of Messiah. You can be born and all, but you can't say I was born to die. Yeah, I mean, there was a widespread Jew- Jewish expectation that the Messiah was actually, you know, on the way because it was just prime for that to happen with the prolonged occupation of the Holy Land by the Romans and before them by the Greeks, before them by all these other superpowers. So people were looking for the Messiah. They were glad when he showed up, but they had any number of false views or at least partially false, partially true views of who the Messiah was going to be. But no one was expecting him to be publicly, shamefully executed by the Romans as mm-hmm. the means by which re- redemption was to be, was to be acquired. Mm-hmm. I've always loved the, the statement by one of the Emmaus disciples when on the day of his resurrection, Jesus appears to them in Luke 24 and is walking with them and <laughs> You know, he asked him what's wrong, why are you so, you know, why the, why the hangdog look? And, and they, uh, one of them says, well, you know, tells him about this Jesus character and says he got himself crucified, but we had hoped, we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. Yeah. Unbeknownst to them, of course, the very death that they're lamenting is the very means by which redemption had been won. Mm-hmm. But their particular lament is, is kind of diagnostic of the Jews' lack of understanding of the day, that actually he did. He not only came to become one of us, to become incarnate, but he actually came then to to die. So yeah. 
there's a scandal stretches from the beginning to the end in one yeah. way or another, whether it's incarnation or whether it's crucifixion, every, every element of his mission is going to be scandalous to, to the Romans for sure, to the Greeks for sure, but also to his fellow Jews. I think, I think one of the striking things is, is when Gabriel tells Mary, like, Hey, this is what's going to happen. And here's, and you're going to name him Jesus for he will save, save his, his people. people from their sins. Yeah. And what nobody has any idea about is what that means. Yeah, and what like what that's going like what what is going to have to happen for him to achieve the whole purpose for which he came, which is what Christmas yeah. is about. Christmas is about Jesus coming to save his people from it's, sins, and what nobody can understand is what all is baked in to that. Right. Well, in the in, at the yeah. time, you would it would make more sense to the listener if Gabriel said he's coming to save his people from their sin, from all the other people's sins. Because that, that was sort of from the mindset, like sins. from the Romans, from, you know, from your occupiers, from the people that have caused you so much trouble. This was the expectation. The Messiah was there to set up a kingdom for his people to save them from all the bad guys. Right. And no, no, no. I'm here to save you from yourselves. Like, that's mm -hmm. that's what I'm here to do. You don't many of you don't recognize it right now. Part of what I'm here to do, and you'll hear it when I get to my Sermon on the Mount, the part of what I'm here to do is to bring a lawsuit against all y'all for failing and showing you why you need the redemption I'm going to provide. Yeah, some of the scandal that you guys are talking about, think of Mark chapter 8, when Peter has just confessed Jesus as the Christ. It's like this epic moment, and then Jesus immediately begins to talk about his suffering and his death and what's going to happen to him. And Peter then takes it upon himself to correct him and says, like, hey, bro, you're the, you're the Messiah. You shouldn't be talking about suffering. You should be talking about glory, mm. you know, and because this is not at all how this is supposed to go. And then, of course, Jesus rebukes him and says, well, actually, like, the way of the cross is the way of salvation, you know, and you too will live a, a cruciform life. And this is exactly in line with the plan of God to use the weak things of the world to shame the strong, you know, the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. That's how he's always worked. So like you guys are talking about Christmas being about redemption. I think it's a big thing that needs to be stated because I, I know where I hail from in terms of my Christian upbringing. We, we don't read the Bible well. We don't understand it well. And so, you know, not only do we turn everything like in the Old Testament into some Christian version of Aesop's fables or something, but then we take the birth narratives in Matthew and Luke, and it's kind of like the Christian version of Twas the Night Before Christmas. You know, we don't even know what to do with them. And it's just the sentimental thing that maybe we read around the fireplace on Christmas Eve or whatever. But actually, Christmas is about this, the saving of God's people from their sins through the life and the death of this one who is born. And so to talk about it that way, I think, is jarring for people because we have all of these sentimental, whatever, and moralistic notions about everything in the scriptures. But then when you drive that home that, no, all of this is actually about Jesus coming to save you as a wretch and that you need to read every passage of scripture like that. I mean... On Twitter yesterday, I, I put up something about Psalm 1 not being about you, and people lose their ever-loving minds, man. And it's like whenever you start talking in these terms, people are threatened by it. And I think that's true when we start talking about the birth of Christ and talk about his life and anything, and you make it all about redemption, people are like, yeah, that, that can't be right. There's got to be something else here that we need to talk about. You know? yeah, well, Christmas becomes the it's the fulfillment of the better you, right? He's come to fix the problems that you have now and here. It's, it's not a, yeah, to make things better now. 
right it's 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 not there's nothing wrong with me as far as an essence it's just there's an act that needs to be cleaned up and so jesus is coming to prepare the way and be the example and this is why at christmas time we kind of celebrate there's there's almost this renewal restore uh, things can be better we we hope in that restoration of things that can be better and jesus comes in and says this this world is not what i'm fixing this world is not even like where my kingdom is. As a matter of fact, you need to be transformed out of this world. And the only way that that can happen is that you have to be reborn into something other than what you are now, because what you are is dead. And that's what's so hard about, you know, I, I was a Grinch for many years. I have learned to become all things to all men that I might win some <laughs> during Christmas time. I'm not so Grinchy. Look, I even have green on during this celebration of a Christmas podcast. You do. But, dear listener, I can vouch for that. Yeah. <laughs> Only one of us. Only one of us. That's right. It wasn't on purpose. But there's um, that false sense of hope that Jesus has come to make all things well. And when we hear that, we don't think of our souls. We don't think of, I need Christ's blood to cover my sin. We're thinking a better home, a better job, a better marriage. It's these things here. And the scandal is Jesus, and this is what uh, you were talking about, Justin, even in Mark, is that we are so earthbound. Right. We just think if I can be happy here, all is well. And that's that's just the lie of Satan. That I mean, that even just goes against the whole theology of the cross versus theology of glory. It, it, we need to be killed and re-brought back up because of our sins. And that being rebirth has to be done by something that's outside of ourselves, which is Christ. So the scandal is it's it's not it's not you need something better to make your life better, is that you need to die, and that death has to be in Christ. And if it's not in Christ, then you will ultimately die. We've spent some time talking about the the broader sort of theological implications of the scandal of Christ's coming and the scandal of Christmas. But, you know, when you look at the micro side of things, just from the very beginning of the angel appearing to Mary, uh, you know, and pronouncing her, you know, pronouncing to her that she'll be pregnant with him. There's plenty of scandal there, too, like in the very micro elements of all this. And uh, I'm sure we'll we'll get into that. But, you know, I can't help but think about just even for Mary right at the beginning. This is she she realizes it's going to literally be scandalous when she shows up to her betrothed Joseph and is like, OK, so here's the deal. Um, I'm with child. Don't worry. Don't worry. Like it, I, I wasn't with anybody. I promise. An angel came to me and told me that the spirit has conceived me a child. I got a dose. Of if you don't think that's scandalous, time. I mean, I, you know, yeah. <laughs> Joseph does. Joseph, yeah, what new oil did you just put on you? <laughs> that's right. right. <laughs> and you can see in the in the story itself, as Matthew records it, of course, that Joseph initially was going to to divorce her, which was the way that an engagement would have ended back then. And had the angel not appeared to him in the dream and told him <laughs> what Mary told you is is the truth, then uh, no doubt he would have he would have gone through with it. Uh, you know, to to his credit, he believes the angel just as mm -hmm. Mary herself also also yeah. believed the angel. But we also have to keep in mind that these people lived in a community. 
So are we to are we to actually believe that the whole community came to believe that this was the case? I seriously doubt that. Well, uh, we have good have reason a, to believe that they yeah, didn't. I mean, right, there's there's allusions to them, uh, you know, making fun of him or mocking him. The illegitimacy being, of his birth. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah, this would have been a, a, right from the get go. In other words, even before he's born, just in his conception itself, we're already entering, entering into the territory of, of scandal. And of course, that just that just continues throughout uh, the rest of his life. You know, whether it's his birth or whether it's his teaching or all the way to his to his crucifixion. So you don't you don't get a non-scandalous Messiah. You don't get one who kind of bounces back and forth. And one way or another, he's always connected to that, which is contrary to what people were wanting and expecting. Isn't it just interesting to to com- to contrast those who present themselves to be a Messiah and how it seems like everything is clean? Like everything's just in, it's all proper. And then yet the true Messiah, it's not the case. A little messy. Yeah. I've always, yeah. I've always messy. Yeah. I always thought it was interesting how, you know, the scripture refers to, to Joseph as a just man. And, but the reason it says he was a just man is not because Mary told him this. And it, it doesn't say Mary explained to Joseph that she was pregnant by the work of the Holy Spirit. And Joseph believed her because he was a just man. It's not what it says. It says, that she told this uh, to Joseph, and he was going to divorce her quietly <laughs> because he was a just man. Like so, so it, it doesn't. Like, the Bible yeah, wasn't going to publicly shame her. That's why an angel right? told just. me. Okay. Yes, so By I mean, the, an angel. So even the scriptures themselves, like, don't blame Joseph for being like, yeah, right. In fact, they give him credit for not being like, I'm going to bring you before everyone and out you and let them ever. They're like, no, he's a good man. He decided he would do it quietly. He really cares about Mary. He's a just man. But he wasn't this dude that was like, okay, I believe you. I believe you. That sounds good to me. I just, I, I believe anything you say. Uh, no, it took, it took an angel for him too. Those are definitely one of those conversations that you want to go track him down in glory and be like, all right, walk me through what was going on in your brain because that is pretty crazy. <laughs> yeah. When you're celebrating Christmas, you think, okay, Jesus is here and we love Jesus. Like we just love Jesus. He was so good and we like all the things he said and he was healing people and you know it's just just jesus is the best i mean even even the world will try to use jesus to be like well you know jesus said this that and the other thing so you're a bad person if you know because you didn't do that in addition to that it's like and isn't it such a bummer that he died like he was so good and mm-hmm. then you know like some bad people killed him and mm-hmm. that that what a, what a tragedy this is the worst tragedy of all time where what christmas is really about is mankind is at war with God and themselves and the devil and like there's there's just just chaos going on and Christmas is about God showing up to fight the battle right so they, they in the manger is born the victor so he like shows up uh, in the middle of a war to win this battle by dying uh, which is completely upside down too and so I think that even the disciples they can never it's, it's shocking to me as you go through the gospels how many times Jesus will be like but here's the thing guys I'm gonna go die or I'm gonna go suffer at the hands of sinful men or I'm gonna be turned over and die and they're like right listen we had a question about the glory right. Who's the greatest <laughs> yeah and yeah. they can never we and need he to does litigate. it over and over and over again and I don't know if they think like 
yeah, he speaks in parables a lot. Who can understand the words that he's saying? I'm going to try to get an answer he's to so a different wise. question. We'll understand well, that one day. Listen, yeah. this is one of the reasons that you know the gospel writers were at least had some degree of narratival writing in mind, because every sure. time Jesus makes a prediction about his suffering, the disciples literally say the stupidest thing in response. <laughs> I mean, it's almost as if the gospel writers are like, oh, man, check this out. <laughs> watch what they said right after <laughs> yeah. it's just like cracking up to themselves and the one t- the one time someone takes it seriously like as john was saying with peter you know the one time he's like okay listen i'm getting tired of hearing this uh this i'm going to die business yeah that's right. not going to happen uh knock it off i don't know what kind of cryptic message you're trying to tell us but it's confusing and you're that's yeah. obviously not going to happen he gets called Satan, and so exactly. the, I, I imagine the rest of the disciples were like, okay, I'm just not going to talk about that when he brings that up anymore. I don't feel like right. getting accused of the same thing that Peter just got accused of. But- There's got to be a terrifying moment in history where God of the universe looks at you and says, Satan, get behind me. Yeah. It's like, whoa. Yeah, and, and Wasn't this, expecting that. <laughs> yeah, and, and that, this is the thing about, uh, I've always said that John 3.16 is a Christmas text because... In this text, you have God giving you the motivation that he has for sending his mm-hmm. son, right? So it's, yeah. for God so loved the world in this way that he gives his son that whosoever believes in him might be saved, right? So that's what Christmas is about, is about God saying, yeah. I love the world in this way that I'm going to give you my son, but you're not going to receive him. Uh, you're not. You're not going to accept him as this gift from me. Instead, you're going to reject him. And crucify him and i know this and this is all part of my mm-hmm. divine plan to love you in such a way that i can welcome you back into my family you see right away that uh things are not going to be all peaceful and loving and let's all give each other a hug in the ministry of jesus because it doesn't take long before bloodshed is close at hand you know herod hears about his birth from the wise men and orders the decree that all the infants in that area under a certain age, be be put to death. And Jesus, Mary, and Joseph flee flee to Egypt, which I've always taken that as a uh, kind of a, a preview of what is to come. That he is, Herod, as it were, represents the, the anti-God forces of the world who are going to be hounding Jesus the rest of his, rest of his life and his ministry. Mm-hmm. And so you see right away in just those early years that he didn't come down simply to give us a good moral example to follow. He right. came down to engage in, in a battle, which ultimately will lead to bloodshed, but his own bloodshed on the cross. Yeah. We were joking about the disciples and how they say dumb things and worry about all the wrong things. Well, I think you know, Christmas is an opportunity for us to recalibrate all of our thinking about stuff. Like, Chad, you were talking about Jesus not coming to be a moral example, or he didn't come to be this great guy to show us how to live or teach us how to think about this or that or the other. Um, no, he's the second Adam that shows up. Like he's born in the manger. The original Adam failed. The second Adam's on the scene and he's going to succeed in every way that that first Adam failed. And he's going to die for that first Adam's failure for everybody's sake. You know, and that's why he's here. And again, this stuff just trips people up. I mean, I know in, in our own church, like our people, we've had to learn this stuff anew because nobody ever said this before, you know, that Christmas is about redemption or that Christmas is really a story of two Adams, you know, where the second one shows up and he's going to do this work. And, you know, I, I grew up in a context where like the temptation of Christ, you know, is all about learning how to use the word of God to defeat the devil. And that's the way that we are taught to interpret the scripture. And when somebody comes along and says, no, the, that's at best secondary, like, don't even worry about that. All you need to worry about is that the redeemer's here and that the one 
who is the new and better Adam. Like the first one was tempted in a garden, had everything going for him and failed. The new well, one's here, you know, and he's in a wilderness. He got everything stacked against him and he succeeds, right? Like this is, it's just, I don't know, threatening and unsettling for people sometimes. Well, and this is uh, part of the scandal too, even goes back uh, long before the, the birth of Christ. And Matthew does a good job of detailing it for us yeah. right in the first chapter when we go through the genealogy. And we yeah. see that Jesus's lineage is, well, in fact, littered with sinners. Mm. I mean, and littered with some quite notorious, quite scandalous sinners themselves. Uh, you know, the, the assumption would be with, uh, you know, a perfect man, the perfect mm -hmm. Messiah, that you wouldn't want some of the names mentioned in this genealogy to tatter the image. And yet there's no running from that. There's no hiding mm -hmm. from that. I mean, when you have people like Judah and Tamar as part yep. of the lineage of Jesus, when you read that sordid tale in Genesis 38, there you can't run away from that story without going, ugh. Like, I mean, right. it's all gross. God is able to transform sinners and use even their, some of their most notoriously sinful acts to create incredible good. In this case, to one day bring about the promised Messiah that was, uh, of course, promised to Eve all the way back then. And yet he has to do it through people that are scandalously imperfect. And it's not just, mm -hmm. the, it really isn't just the Tamars and the Judas of the world, folks. I mean, if you really spend time going through this list, I promise you, you can find that they're all sinners. <laughs> they are all sinners. There is yeah. none righteous. Hmm. Well, that, that's, basically, that, that's, that's basically what Chad and I do every week is uh, we just yeah. trace the lineage of Christ and we just <clears throat> highlight uh, how terrible everyone in that lineage is. Yeah, uh, all all is. the idealism of the hall of faith, uh, you know, each week when you go through the old Testament and say, yeah, they're, they're hailed for their faith, but uh, yeah, maybe not all their works. Yeah. Well, this, <laughs> no. we do, we turn this upside down all the time, but we, we, we want to moralize the old Testament and see that Jesus was just another moral person to kind of carry on his lineage. Mm -hmm. But you're, you're right. Uh, Eric, when you look back, you're looking at just wretched people. I mean, Abraham was, was such a great godly man to let his wife well, right? I mean, yeah. <laughs> not the story. Right. But one of the things that's interesting, even now, just the, I'm going to say some things that are scandalous, but the political climate, it's like Jesus, you know, he set America straight. He got it all on the right path. And we're messing it up now because we, we're, not, we're not following King Jesus the way we should be. America's going to hell in a handbasket. And that's like the greatest act he could have ever done is instituted the United States. And that becomes the good news of the gospel, right? And we, we, we put American flags in our churches. And, and, and it's crazy in that the most important thing we fight over is the trajectory of a country. And yet the gospel, which is what Christmas is about, is completely covered over political political jargon. And my scandalous statement is officially over and you can edit that out if you'd like. <laughs> no, I think it perfectly fits with what we were trying to say earlier too. Where I mean, what do we, what do we always do? We make ourselves the, the center of the story, right? Yeah. So we, it's just the typical thing that, uh, that sinners do. And so we make America the center of the story. We make, mm -hmm. I make myself the center of the story instead of keeping Christ the center of the story. Mm -hmm. I think one of the reasons we do that, it goes back to what we've alluded to several times. And that is that Christ didn't come simply to set us straight or to give us a good model to, to follow. He did what's contrary to everything that we experience in life. I mean, so if, if I'm overweight and need to get in shape, I work with where I'm at, right? I go to the gym, maybe I get a trainer, they size me up, say, here's what you need to do to improve your health. All right. 
or I go to the doctor, same thing happens. But we don't go to God or God doesn't bring us to himself and sit us down and say, let me analyze your strengths and weaknesses and let me see what I can work with so I can make you into a new person. No, God comes to us and says, you got to die. That's the only way you've got, you have to die and then be raised to new life. And this is going to happen when you're united to Christ. So it doesn't work with what we have. He says, what you have is all screwed up. So I'm going to kill it. It's of no avail. There's nothing we can do with you. You have to die. And then once you've, once you've died, we're going to raise you to new life in Christ. Mm -hmm. And then in Christ, you will be the way that I want you to be. Now that nothing in our life works that way, but that's the way the gospel works. Yeah, pretty good way to end it right there. By the way, the music that I'm going to put on here, uh, the bumper music at the beginning and the end, is the new uh, 1517 EP from uh, Blake Flatley, 1517 Music, his Christmas EP cool. called Jesus Coming Light. So if you want to check that out, it's free everywhere that you listen to music, Spotify, Apple Music, whatever you want to do. So if you like the way that sounds, uh, add that to your uh, Christmas rotation. That'd be great. And I hope that everyone has a Merry Christmas, even the, the Grinches out there. It is a good time to celebrate because it is, it is celebrating that God has kept his promise that he made over and over and over again to come and to do something about the condition that we put ourselves in when we could do nothing about it. And he has come and done everything yeah, yeah. Um, necessary for it. So it is, it is appropriate, even though Christ wasn't born on December 25th, doesn't matter. It's good to have a day where we, uh, where we acknowledge that and, uh, and hopefully focus for a moment uh, on the, a God who keeps his promises, not just to come the first time, but to also return the second time to gather up all those people who he has brought into his family. And so good, good stuff. Guys, thanks for, uh, thanks for hanging out. It was fun. Yeah, you know, I'll fun. see you on the the infamous text message thread later on. <laughs> Merry Christmas, Thanks, Merry guys. Christmas everybody. Yeah, Merry Christmas. Be with you all. Merry Christmas. Jesus coming, that drawn near, spark within us hope. Though shadows fire with all them might, they'll never overcome. In brilliance, you don't come to blind. But only that the blind would see Hosanna, hallelujah Jesus coming light, draw near Jesus coming light, draw near Jesus coming light, draw near Inspire Within us peace May your children gather in its glow Warmth bids out come and see When you return we'll need no sun But only word made flesh to shine Hosanna, hallelujah Jesus coming light Jesus coming light, draw near. Jesus coming light, draw near. Spark within us joy. As a humble hearth, you come to dwell, not speeding to destroy. 
Glad in hearts and brightened eyes Like sparkled rays in winter's dark Hosanna, hallelujah Jesus coming light Jesus coming, let draw near, inspire within us joy. Out of heaven laid among the low, in the star glow from above. With love illuminate your church, that every soul will know its worth. Hosanna, hallelujah, Jesus coming, let draw near.